Well, hello, everybody, and uh, I hope your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 15 as we now begin the second half of Acts. And as we left off, we left off with Paul and Barnabas. They're on their missionary journey, and they went to two cities called Lystra and Derby, and that is where they ran into obstacles. Um, they ran into people that were coming against them, and so they had the extreme, to tell you the truth. They had one group of people who were saying that they were gods, and 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 then they had the other group of people then that came and were jealous and, and came and changed the other people's minds. It was, what a mess. And you can't help but feel for them as they're trying their best to get the gospel into these pagan cities. But in Lystra, then it said their Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And remember, again, Antioch, Pisidian. And these two had people coming from from those two, we had people coming from these two cities, and they won the crowd over. I mean, you know, like I said, what a terrible, terrible mess, and all kinds of emotion all over the place. And, and you know, I, I feel so for Paul and Barnabas. And, you know, again, if you've tried to do ministry so hard, and then you just, you just run into this opposition, and you can't understand why would people oppose the greatest thing that could ever happen to them. I mean, this still is something I can hardly understand. But see, there again, we've been talking about the difference. You can hear the same group of people can hear the same gospel story, but then who's going to take the responsibility to receive it as their own? And those without a changed heart are going to act according to their self-emotions. And, and that's why jealousy and that kind of thing just took over. And then you watched their, their actions. You know, whatever is feeding our heart will come out in our actions. And so you watch these characteristics come out. And, and they're, you know, they, they come together and oppose um, Paul, and they stoned him to the point that they thought he was dead, and they dragged him out of the city and just left him there, thought he was dead. And then we read how his disciples, his followers, um, rallied around him. And it, it was, I'm, sh I'm sure, I mean, it had to have been a miracle because he was beaten to a pulp, and he got up, and he walked. He walked right back into the city, but then the next day, they left Lystra and went to Derby. And that in that city, um, Paul and Barnabas had a little respite as far as maybe Paul had to heal. Um, they had great results. People there believed in large numbers. But then when they left there, they went back. It said they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, Pisidian. They, they went back there. And, you know, we talked, or, you know, we already talked about that, that that seems unfathomable. Why would you go back to those cities? And yet they went back because Paul so believed in not only to see their souls saved, but the fact, and, and this is the catcher here, and we need to remember this, even though we know that our souls are saved, 
we 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 need to be strengthened and encouraged and we need to be taught and we need to keep growing and maturing we can never get stagnant we can never i call it slack off we need to work at our spiritual growth and so paul and in paul and barnabas went back to to um, Lystra and Iconium and Antioch Bithynian because they wanted to strengthen those disciples and encourage them to remain true in the faith. You know, it's kind of like what I do when, when, when I'm sure there are times when you think, boy, all she talks about is getting into our Bibles. Make sure that we're studying, that, that uh, a little minute devotional is not Bible study. And, and it seems like I'm always on your case about that. But I think I'm taking my cue from Paul when he goes back into those dangerous zones because he knows that with our, our human nature, we have a tendency then to fall back into our old ways so quickly. And so these, these new churches, these new believers needed some reinforcement, and he knew that that was so important. And then along with them, as they strengthened and encouraged the people, they also knew that they couldn't stay there. They had to keep moving on. So then they appointed leaders from within so that they could keep the people going. We need that accountability. We need people to keep pushing us into, in, into the right direction. That powerful self wants to pull us to our old ways. And I, I have just learned that so much. And so it's kind of like my soapbox. You know, self is our worst enemy and how the devil um, wants to use self to control our hearts and our minds and our decisions. And so anyway, then, then um, we, we move on as, as you know, they, they continued. It said from Alicia, they sailed back to Antioch. And, you know, they, they kept on the move. And they went back to the Antioch, Antioch. And that's the home base. Um, like I said before, Jerusalem is the home base for the Jewish church, and Antioch is the home base for the Gentile church. And so it was so nice for, for Paul and Barnabas to be able to go home and to tell their stories and to be able to um, prove to them that, that they were on the right track and listening to God's spirit and doing what he wanted them to do because the results were phenomenal. And it said, then they stayed there. They, they, there's just no place like home, is there? And so um, that's where we left them. And now it says that some men came down from Judea to Antioch. So we've got some, some men from the Jerusalem church. Um, they're coming down to Antioch, to the Gentile church. And they were starting to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So what they were doing was bringing back some of that old, that old school. Now they were believers. We know that they were Christians. We know that they believed in Jesus but they were starting to fall back into that legalistic way of thinking that you need Jesus and. And so this was starting to cause commotion and confusion. And 
they were saying that unless these Gentile believers were circumcised, then they were not saved. Now, this wasn't just a little sideline issue, but it pertained to salvation. This was a major important matter. And so this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. And I think these words are used by Luke because they did stand their ground. I mean, there's times where, you know, you can say, well, you know, what's your opinion or what do you think? What's your interpretation on this? This is kind of like one of those non-negotiables. And they were starting to, they were starting to cause confusion with this non-negotiable. Remember, I told you about God's terms. His terms are, this is the way salvation comes to you. You believe in your heart that you're a sinner. You know you need a savior. You believe that when you go to the cross of Christ, his blood will cleanse you from your sins. But you've got to come in humility and in confession and repentance You've got to understand that you cannot save yourself. There is no good work that can save you. Only the cross, the blood of Christ can save you. So this is one of those non-negotiables. These are the terms, and they were starting to challenge those new Christians, the Gentiles, with this, this legalistic, you need Jesus and and, and boy, this did not sell right, of course, with Paul and Barnabas. They had seen, they had witnessed, they had experienced too much. And so they went right to the matter, and they, I mean, with a sharp dispute and debate. So they, they were appointed, Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So they, you know, they went with other believers and they headed on their way to Jerusalem to discuss this matter and actually not discuss so much as say, no, 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 it doesn't work this way. Well, the church, the Antioch church, sent them on their way, and as they, were tra as they traveled through um, Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. So on their way to Jerusalem, they're just proclaiming what has happened in these cities and these new churches and how the Gentiles are, are believing and coming alive in Christ. What a what an exciting testimony they were telling these people. And this news made all the brothers very glad. I mean, it should. When we hear about people coming to know Christ, knowing that they're going to heaven, their, their home is in heaven instead of hell, which is the only other alternative. When you're hearing that people's response to surrender to this gospel message, we should, be, we should just be ecstatic. Unfortunately, this was the response. It made the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, when Paul and Barnabas came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then, then, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, 
the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So here you have believers who, who still cannot let go of their, their legalistic ways and believe that Jesus has set them free, has fulfilled all the laws of Moses, and they are still holding on to that. And because of that, now they're, they're causing this, this kind of uproar. I remember, I remember when, oh, goodness, I, I, when I, when, when I uh, took voice lessons. And um, this was years ago. And, and on the day that my, my voice teacher, I just, I just loved him. I mean, he understood what I wanted to do with the talent God gave me. Um, he didn't try to push me in any secular direction. He, he just, you know, made sure that, that I knew how to sing properly, at least, you know, but he also knew that I sang so from my heart that sometimes that would take over and then I wouldn't sing so properly. But then he, he wouldn't get on my case. He, he just understood me. That maybe I just put it that way. He really understood me. Well, his wife passed away, and he talked to me about that, of course, and I knew that he just adored his wife. And it was a sad, very sad day, a great loss for him. And he, this is what he said to me. He said, I have 80 students. I have 80 vocal students. And he said, 79 sing better than you. And he said, but you're the one I want to sing at my wife's funeral. And I consider that a high compliment because, okay, I mean, he admitted that I don't have, I, I certainly wasn't the greatest talent that he was working with, but he also knew that I sang from my heart. And to him, when it came to this important, this important mission, he wanted the one who would sing the song from the depths of her heart. And like I said, I took that as a high compliment. So the day of the funeral came and, and I had my songs all practiced and, and I went up to, to sing my songs and I did. I, I, when I was introduced, then I walked up to the up the platform on, on the, in this church. It was in a church, and I walked up, and I sang because the church was full, and I just sang from the stage and where they had the microphone set up for me. And after the funeral was done, then we were in the fellowship hall, and my voice teacher grabbed me and said to me, he says, I want you to meet the pastor. I want you to meet my pastor. And, and so I... I was anxious to meet him, and and so he brought me to him, and he he introduced him, and he said, and then he said the same thing. He said, "I have I have 80 students, and 79 sing better than her, but I wanted her to be the one to sing today." And the pastor, you could tell that that my voice teacher, you know, he I knew that he loved me, and I loved him back, and we had a great rapport. And, and I guess we were just not expecting what the pastor said. And he, he just looked straight at me. And he said, instead of saying, 
I can understand that, or um, the songs just ministered, or what? I mean, um, I mean, I didn't expect any fanfare about the talent or anything. He, I just expected different than what he said. He looked at me and said, next time, if there is ever a next time, you come and sing in this church. You will never get up on that stage again without the proper attire. And I looked at him, and that's all he said. And then he walked away. See, apparently, if according to him, if you are going to participate in, the, in any service, you have to have a certain robe on. And that, that if you don't have that proper attire on, then you cannot participate. And so apparently he was quite appalled that I went against their rules because I haven't heard that in any other place, but in his particular church, this is the way it operated. And because he didn't know that I was going to come up on the stage, he, I didn't have the right attire. And I know my voice teacher was embarrassed. And, and of course, I felt terrible. And I got thinking later. I thought to myself, you know what? In fact, it came to my mind so when I was doing this lesson because even though it was years ago, I flashed back to that. And I thought, it's not what Jesus has done for us. Jesus puts the right attire on us. And it has nothing to do with that certain robe that this church said I had to wear. It did have to do with a robe, but only Jesus can give us the, ro the right robe, the white robe of righteousness. And this man, unfortunately, even though he's a believer, could not let go of some of the rituals that Jesus came to fulfill. I mean, I was properly attired. I, I wore, the, I wore um, very modest clothing. There was nothing wrong with my clothing, my look. It's so important that we look at the inside of us more than the outside. I was wearing the right attire because I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and I have been issued the white robe of righteousness. And I can get on that stage because, because of Jesus, that curtain was rent from top to bottom and now I can walk into God's presence, not because of who I am, but because of what Jesus has done. He has set me free. And some of these old ways of things, they're gone. But boy, did that ever affect. I mean, it, it caused embarrassment, it caused hurt, it caused confusion. Because Jesus has changed all that, but there's some that cannot let go of some of those old practices. And I think this is the case here. But and look at Paul and Barnabas' response. And now this is 
the way. Now, they, they just handled it beautifully because this could have been, this could have, this could have been division in the church. This could have ripped maybe new churches apart. That's why we have to make sure that we're growing in God's word, not in human rituals. And we've got to make sure that, that we're letting the Lord grow us. Because sometimes we are so holding on tight to maybe the way we've been raised or the way that we used to do it. And, and not that some of these, I mean, I know that they're in, in all of our traditions, our forefathers, I know that they intended to be right. And, and I know even these believers then, I, I know they intended to make sure that, that we're just so proper, but they weren't understanding that Jesus came to fulfill that. And by holding on to some of those old practices, and no, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves us. And that is a very important issue. And to know that with Jesus, he puts the right attire on us, the white robe of righteousness. And in verse 6, the apostles and elders met and considered this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Wouldn't you just have loved to have been there? Because Peter, Peter of all people, who was diehard Jew, and they knew him as diehard Jew, but they also have, have heard, and we're going to go back to Acts chapter 11 and see when Peter stood up and explained this all before. And so Peter got up and he addressed them, and he said, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. What a statement for Peter that we've talked about this and, and I know this is a big change, Peter's saying. I, I know that we never thought this could possibly happen, that the Gentiles and the Jews together in one accord come the same way to the cross of Christ that we can call them brothers and sisters. I mean, probably no one is more surprised about all that than Peter but he has made the change. The Holy Spirit has helped him make this drastic change in his life. And he is saying, the same Holy Spirit that changed me is changing them. And he's purifying their hearts, not by rituals, not by the Mosaic law, but by the cross of Christ. All they have to do by faith, believing without seeing, is come to the cross humbly, confession, repentance, and accept God's grace. Now then, why do you try to test God 
by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. So Peter's saying, why are you trying to go back? Because you know there isn't one of us in the past or now that could ever obey any, every one of those 700-some laws. I mean, in the Old Testament, it's full of proof. From the golden calf to the rebellion of the Israelites in, in the different um, prophetic letters of the Old Testament or books of the Old Testament. I mean, we know from Jeremiah and we know we have such proof that Israel turned their back because they did not believe or they would not obey all those. It's just impossible. And so Peter's trying to get them to see, you know what? None of us could do it. And why would you want to put on our new believers, why would you want to put this heavy yoke on them when there's no need for it anymore? Because Jesus did the opposite. He set us free. So instead of a heavy yoke, they can have freedom. And so when he says, why would, why, would you, why would you test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? And then verse 11, no, exclamation point. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Now remember, we know two James. We know that James, the brother of John, has already been martyred. And James, that we're that we see in verse 13 is James, the brother of Jesus, who somewhere along the line had a miraculous change in his life and finally believed that that ridiculous brother of his was truly the Messiah. And, and now we see him as the head of the Jerusalem church. And and so after hearing Paul and Barnabas give their testimonies and proof of what God had done through them, he spoke up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has described to us how God had first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. God first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. And, and I go back to Acts chapter 11. And this is where, I'm just going to read some of, of Acts chapter 11 because this is what he's referring to. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with him? 
And then remember how Peter began and explained? He kept his cool. He explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. And he just gave them all the details of what happened with Cornelius and the dream or the vision. And he said, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit told me to have no hesitation about all of this. And it said, when they heard this, it said, after Peter said, how could I oppose what God has made so clear to me and has given them the same gifts, the same Holy Spirit to them as he has given to me? How, how could I ever oppose God? How, how could I ever deny this? And it says, when they heard Peter's testimony, they had no further objections, and they too praised God that God has, had now granted the Gentiles this forgiveness and the opportunity for salvation. So when James stood up in this chapter, he is trying to say, remember, we have been through this. Remember, Simon has described to us how God has at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name. See, there's the criteria. Jew and Gentile alike, you're included in Christ when you hear about Jesus and his salvation offer and you accept it as yours. And that's why Paul is so emphatic in his letters about saying that we all come to the cross the same. Jew, Gentile, male, female, rich, poor, because we all need this salvation and it was written in Isaiah, in Amos, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophets. This really shouldn't be a surprise to you because it was prophesied. I bet they just couldn't fathom and said, I'm sure I'm misinterpreting this, that someday Jew and Gentile will be alike. It's in verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, James, the head of the Jerusalem church. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. I had to read and reread that. I mean, the first part, I mean, I, I just, I thought, oh, great. James is saying, hey, we, it's his judgment and he was passing it on to them. We shouldn't make it difficult. We shouldn't add these, the, this yoke. We should not, because it's not right. They don't need that. They don't have to carry that. They don't have to carry that law 
So that part, I under, understood, and I was glad. But he said, you know, we should send them a letter and tell them, though, that that we would really appreciate if they would abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from, the, and from blood. I kind of stopped there and looked at those things a little bit. You know, food polluted to idols. I mean, this was this was major for the Jews. Of course, sexual immorality was major for the Jews. He's saying the things that, you know, the Jews, the Jews have every right to some of their traditions. That's that's perfectly fine. But you are not responsible to carry this yoke and do what they do. But if it's important to them, then love them enough through Christ that you don't do anything to offend them. And you know, we know that Paul talks about that later. I mean, he writes, even, even though we know that we've been set free and it's not important anymore, but if it's important to them, and the way Paul said, don't do anything if it's going to cause someone to stumble. It just isn't worth it. Maybe you don't think it's wrong, but maybe they do. And can you have grace enough working through you? Can you have compassion enough working through you that you don't want to cause them to stumble or cause confusion or you don't want to do anything to jeopardize? Can you just do that? This is important to the Jews, like he said. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. It's important and so, yes, we are, we are making sure that you don't have to carry. Gentiles don't because it is Jesus and nothing else. But if they want some of their traditions, then so be it. Then respect them enough to let them do that. And, you know, I was thinking about that from the meat of strangled animals and from blood, I can see, you know, I, I kind of Googled this a little bit and I, and I didn't want to be on this site too long because all it, I just wanted to see about the rituals of drinking blood is totally satanic. And so that is, I mean, I, I don't, I think you get what I mean. And so that's why it's, I think it gives us the creeps. I mean, it sounds gross, but it should give us the creeps because this is this is just part of the rituals of satanic worship. They love to drink blood. So, anyway, but the bottom line here, the bottom line is James is just saying, we don't expect you to carry this yoke because Jesus and his, and his mercy on the cross, those are the terms. And you don't have to carry, you don't have to carry all those mosaic laws. You've been set free. And so have the Jews been set free if they believe and come to the cross the same way in repentance, confession, and humility. But can you at least respect their traditions? 
Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas and Silas. Judas was also called Barsabbas. Barsabbas. So again, that was a familiar name. And so, you know, it's just a different person. It's not Judas Iscariot or anything like that. It's just another, another name. They chose Judas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. So they knew these men's hearts. They knew what they believed. They, they were leadership material because their lives were committed to Christ. And their, their lives, it was visible that they were 100% sold on the gospel. And so these two men were chosen. In fact, I even found in 1 Peter that Silas helped Peter write his letter. And so, you know, these relationships continued. And, but the common denominator was their sold-out belief in Christ. Well, now they chose these two men, and with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. See, this is what I was saying. They were causing, I mean, the doubt, confusion. Their, their minds were starting to be troubled. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. I think, I think what this letter was trying to get them to say is that you know, you might not do them maybe out of respect to the Jews, but if you look at these three things, it might not be so bad for you to not do them for your sake, too. The men, and then farewell. And then the men sent, the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. You see, I think when they heard that letter, they, I think they were relieved. I think they were, uh, the confusion went away because when they heard the gospel of Christ, they were told that it's by grace and grace alone. The grace of our Lord Jesus, the blood of a Savior, that one and only story that that's what they believed in and so I think they were so relieved to say we did hear it right we were believing right 
the main principle is God's grace. And I think this letter preserved that. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. See, they were good at this, and they, they were sold out, and, and they, they were telling the story because that's what a prophet did. Tell, tell the story. And so they were very much encouraging and strengthening to the brothers. After spending some time there, they, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. They had done their job. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. See, even in Antioch, even though it was the hub, it was the center, the church of the Gentiles, even though there were a lot of Gentile churches throughout the different, the different regions, but this was kind of like the hub. But even those who lived in that city of Antioch, it was still important that they keep growing and learning. You can't ever stop studying your Bible. There is never, there is never a time where you can honestly say, and I don't care how old you are, I don't care how much you study, there's always more to learn. And I think that verse really proves it. And as Paul and Barnabas kept teaching, as they taught, I know for me, as I teach this, I am learning that like I, like I couldn't possibly learn. The, the best thing, I would suggest leadership, if it was possible, if God called, the leader is the one who learns the most. Because the more you study, the more you learn. And it gets more exciting. And so... Again, there's never a time when you can say, you know, I really don't need this anymore. I've got it. You might have some main principles, but the danger is when you slack off, those main principles start to get a little dulled. I think one of my main phrases when, when people are are down or if they're defeated or they're discouraged or they starting to have a doubt or the simple answer, the simple answer I say to them is go back to the cross and realize what that cross did for you. And if that isn't the most important, the most important victory in your life, if that doesn't surpass any down or despair or defeat or any circumstance that can bring you in a place where you feel that there's just no point in getting up in the morning? If you are losing your joy, if you don't feel this overwhelming sense of assurance 
then, then something, something is disconnected. And that something is you have disconnected from God's spirit because God's spirit will continuously feed you and encourage you and strengthen you and bring you back to the cross to make sure that everything is, in pers- is you know, you see everything more in perspective. Because nothing is better than your salvation and there is no circumstance that can take it away. And that should be the most uplifting and joyous and get you back into that place of victory. So it said that Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, and they encouraged and strengthened the brothers after spending some time, they went back and Barnabas and Paul remained they taught. They also learned. It was a very rich time. And again, I reiterate, they handled this thing so well. And they followed the Holy Spirit. I mean, it just shows that disputes and challenges and when you're working with a bunch of human beings, there are going to be times and and how you how you deal with it and how how you are listening to God's spirit instead of human emotions can really make a difference in how the results land. But here we go, here comes another one. Sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. See how, how Paul just is so emphatic about, let's check up on him. I think Paul, Paul understood his own self so well that if he didn't work at it, he knew how quickly you can start falling back into your, your old ways. And I think he just understood that so clearly that he said, why don't we go back and see how they're all doing? Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, none of us know exactly what transpired here, but I think we do have enough that we know that something happened that when John Mark left the team and went back home, it was some sign of immaturity or lack of trust or self-centeredness or whatever. I think we, we do have enough because if it was for any, any good reason, I don't think a dispute or disagreement would have come between Paul and Barnabas. But whatever it was, they had such a they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now, I think so often we look at this and say, well, you know, there's going to be disagreements and God can even work that out. Because now we are going to see two different teams 
covering double the range. But I think there is a slight danger that we cannot look at this and use this example as a, an, an excuse for Christian quarreling. Because again, I go back to John 17, and I say this often, but Jesus so wanted his children. And now we're seeing whether Jew or Gentile, whoever believed, and now called his children a part of his family. The one thing that he prayed to his father in that, in that prayer in John 17 was that we all get along, that there's unity. And even James, when he writes his five chapters in his book that are just so no-nonsense, one of his chapters, he, he talks about what's causing all these quarrels among you. And he, he said, I know what it is. It's self. And so even though we know that God can turn all things out for good to those who love him, and we, we don't doubt that for a second, that Paul and Barnabas both loved the Lord. Both thought that they were right. They parted, believing, let's agree to disagree, but we can't go together. And God still used that for, we know that God could turn it out for good. And he did. He used two teams. But we should never try to work at unity. We should never not try working at unity. We should not use this particular story as an excuse to say, well, Christians can quarrel. Because I think that that gives a slippery slope. But what we do know from this passage is that there was a dispute and they disagreed. They parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So they both were commissioned to do the job. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So this is how we leave the first missionary journey. And after the, the confusion from the Jerusalem church coming down to Antioch and getting this dispute all over, and, and then we see this dispute. I think this particular chapter, Luke is having us take a look at, yep, we're all humans, and yes, we're not all going to agree, and yes, we all like to stick to our old ways of doing things and we don't like change and we have to remember sometimes that sometimes our beliefs are because it's what we were taught by other humans and I'm reminded in, in that same thing in that same kind of the um, same kind of a theme I remember Jesus looking at his disciples and 
saying to them, you know, because they were all Jewish men, they probably, at least most of them, came from, you know, good upbringing and probably taught the law of Moses. And he, he looked at them one day and said, I know you know, but now I'm going to tell you. Jesus knew that, that sometimes, you know, our beliefs, we've got to believe because we believe this is what the Holy Spirit is telling us through God's word, not from man-made laws or rules. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit leading us into God's word. I think that was an, a very important part of this, of this teaching in this lesson. But then the latter part was how do we handle difficulties and disagreements with others? And I think there again, we have to make sure that our motive is right. I, in your questions, I asked you, do you think they both had a beef? I mean, do, did they both? I mean, I could see both sides. I mean, if there was something that happened with John Mark leaving early. Paul thought he was right. Maybe John Mark needs to grow up or mature. We've got to give him a little more time. Paul maybe remembered, I know how much I had to be set aside and learn and grow. And then there's Barnabas, which we know from the early, the beginning of the church in Jerusalem. He was the one that is, his name is Encourager, full of compassion and grace. And so he's the one that, well, let's give him another chance. So, you know, you can see both sides. I think we just have to consider, because so often broken families, broken relationships, you know, how, how can we, how can we, disagree, but in a Christ-like way. Because we are going to have differences of opinions. But like James says, why are you quarreling? What's your motive? Are you, do you, are you so just determined that you're right? Is there a better way that we can resolve this? I don't know. I think this chapter can really... Have us take a look at our, our relationships with people. I think that should be another goal that we are Christ like in everything, even in relationships that may be difficult. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your word that just kind of meets us. At every, at every logical and relatable, I mean, something that we all can, we can all say, I've been there. Lord, that's why your word is just so right on. It just helps us in every area of our life. But I think it really does show us that it's either your way or our own way. Which way do we, do we want to listen to your voice? Do we want to handle difficult situations in the way that you would handle them? Or are we just sticking our heels in the sand and say, 
I'm right and this is the way it's going to be. And Father, just help us to see that in, in this, this last part of this chapter, I think that we can see some human nature that they both grounded their heels and maybe they didn't handle it just perfectly. But Lord, how beautiful it is that we can know that you do turn all things out for good and you did use their teams in different ways. But Lord, I know that you are striving that we handle difficulties in the way that that you would have us, that, 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 we, that we do it with compassion and we do it with unconditional love and we do it with the fruit of your spirit. And most of all, that because you were so willing to forgive us when we didn't deserve it, are we willing to forgive? Father, thank you for challenging us. Thank you for bringing things right home to us. Father, we, we should desire to want to be Christ-like in every way. Father, most of all, we thank you for Jesus and how salvation and our Savior can change our life and we can see it in every area. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.